From the studios of WHUPLP in Hillsborough, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the wait is up Fight, It is a packed and celebratory episode of Dirty White Belt Radio this week, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. First of all, we have to celebrate something about our featured guest, Jay Jovanovich. Jay, who we've tried to get on the show for a long time, just got his black belt two days before we recorded this. So I'm very excited for you to hear that conversation. But there's a lot of news to get to as well. For one thing, Marcelo Garcia, arguably the best ever, gave an extremely well-received seminar at Gracie Jiu-Jitsu of New Bern. You can see some photos of that on our Facebook page. I want to mention also that if you want to keep up on the news, we try and do that as well as we can here on the podcast. But because most people download this on demand, not everybody is listening in a timely fashion. If you really want to keep up with the news of what's going on in the scene, check out our website, dirtywhitebelt.com, or our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash cageside radio. And all of the news of the day is going to happen there as well. We have a lot of upcoming events in North Carolina that I'm sure you're not going to want to miss. I want to mention two of those before we get to our featured interview. First, U.S. Grappling Greensboro. That's happening May 20th. This is going to be one of the bigger tournaments that the year. It's always well received and uh, everybody that I know is going out to compete. I'm flying out from the West Coast on May 19th, so I'll be out there probably competing, definitely refing, definitely doing all kind of other things, so come by and say hi. Uh, U.S. Grappling, May 20th in Greensboro. So, hey, Betsy O'Donovan. Yes, Jessica. So you just had your first ever competition experience. I did. At U.S. Grappling Charlotte. U.S. Grappling Charlotte. And would you recommend the U.S. Grappling Tournament for people that are thinking about competing for the first time? I really wholeheartedly would. It was um, from beginning to end, from the ease of registration to how they handle weigh-ins. Full disclosure, I thought I was going to drop a lot more weight than I did. I showed up and was still at my walking around weight for a lot of reasons. And it was easy to just be up in a different weight class. Um, The tournament experience was incredibly good. It was well run. The communication was outstanding. And the people were incredibly nice and encouraging. There's a great community there. And I would say, go get it. U.S. Grappling is, I wouldn't have done it any other way. So if you're out there, and whether you've competed a hundred times or zero times, whether it is your first time out there or your second time out there, there is a U.S. Grappling Tournament for you. You can check out all the upcoming events at usgrappling.com or search U.S. Grappling on Facebook for an upcoming tournament, and we will see you out there. The ensuing week has something just as exciting in a different way. Once you're done competing at U.S. Grappling Greensboro on May 20th, come on out to Cageside Fight Company and Toro BJJ's location at 124 Lotter Road in Durham, North Carolina, for a Dirty White Belt-sponsored seminar. Our first seminar, if you remember, was Dominica Oblinite. That was extremely popular. People had a great time and learned a ton. This seminar is with Marillo Bustamante, one of the best all-around martial artists of all time. If you don't need know Marillo, you need to get familiar. Marillo was the UFC middleweight champion, 
uh, won the world's the Mundial de Jiu-Jitsu in the Gi, was also an extremely high-level no-gi Jiu-Jitsu competitor at ADCC as well, fought in Pride, taught a seminar here about two or three years ago that I think everybody learned a ton from. And so no matter what aspect of the martial arts you're interested in, Murillo Bustamante has something to teach you. He's a tremendous instructor, and we're lucky to have him. That's going to be on a Wednesday night, May 24th, in Durham, North Carolina, 124 Lotter Road. We are, once again, sponsoring that seminar in conjunction with Toro BJJ, so please come out and support. I promise you'll meet some new friends, learn some great stuff, and if you haven't ever trained with Murillo Bustamante, you should not deny yourself this opportunity. One other thing I want to mention in terms of news and upcoming events, the World Championship is coming up, the Mundial de Jiu-Jitsu. Every year it takes place at the Walter Pyramid in Long Beach, California, and this is an incredible event. It's the culmination for a lot of people of lots of hard training, and I'm helping to prepare some of our local competitors, doing a lot of training with folks that are going out there to compete. So I have an ask for you guys. First of all, support your local Jiu-Jitsu competitor. If you know one of your teammates or friends is going out to compete at the Worlds, be sure to get out and do that extra training with them, help them drill. Um, this is a lot of hard work and nobody does this alone. So support your local jujitsu competitor. Also, my other ask is let me know if you know of local people that are competing at the Worlds. I try to keep track with the IBJJF registrations, but the reality is I don't know all the practitioners in North Carolina. The scene is growing all the time, and I want to be sure to keep track of who is competing and who is doing well. Also, with the majesty that is flow grappling, every year at the Worlds I post an open thread where I obsessively watch the matches and provide a live update of basically every local competitor that I know. So we're going to do that on DirtyWhiteBelt.com this year. We will also post the link to Facebook. So if you know of someone that you would like to be apprised of updates on, or if you know of someone that I should watch, either just someone that's going to do well or someone that has an interesting story, somebody local, please do let us know. You can always get a hold of the show via email at cagesidewhup, that's cagesidewhup at gmail.com. You can also get at us on Twitter at DWE Radio or on Instagram at Dirty White Belt. You can also see me around and let me know who you want uh, us to watch and keep track of while you're competing. The Mundialis is a big deal. I'm going to try to make it out this year uh, to to watch, but if I can't, you can promise that I'll be glued to Flow Grappling, bringing you the best updates that I possibly can on all your favorites. Jay Yovanovich is one of the most prominent members of the North Carolina Jiu-Jitsu scene. From competing to teaching and training at Pendergrass Academy of Martial Arts, Jay's done it all. We tried to get Jay on the show for quite some time as a brown belt, but we were never able to make the scheduling work. Sometimes these things are just kismet, though, and as luck would have it, Jay got his black belt just two days ago when we were finally able to get him into the studio. I was really excited to talk to Jay about his journey, which started low these many years ago in 2000, about his training at Pendergrass, about teaching the kids and teens classes there, and about competing as well as refing for U.S. grappling. But I was also excited to talk to Jay about some of his life pursuits as well and his philosophy on jiu-jitsu and how it interweaves into your life. Jay's connected with jiu-jitsu practitioners across the nation through something called the Good Vibes Crew and his passion for craft beer, which you'll hear about. Jay's also somebody that has an interesting perspective on jiu-jitsu and how it fits in with your life, your career, and your family. So we'll hear him talk about that as well. I had a great time talking with Jay Yovanovich. He's one of the more thoughtful guys in the community. So if you're interested in how to have a great open guard, how to balance jujitsu with your regular life pursuits, about Jay's philosophy on getting better at grappling and what he'd tell himself years later uh, if he could go back and talk to himself as a blue belt, you'll also get to hear Jay's take on what makes a really great rolling playlist, what the best beers that you haven't heard of are, and the most underrated jujitsu practitioners in the area. So I'm very excited 
for you all to hear this interview with Pendergrass Academy of Martial Arts' newest black belt, Jay Ivanovich. Our featured interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. Toro BJJ produces the highest quality gis, rash guards, and grappling supplies for every Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. You can check them out online at torobjj.com. Our thanks to Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for making our featured interview possible. So let's get to it. My guest today is Pendergrass Academy of Martial Arts' newest black belt. Uh, got his black belt from Guy and Rob Pendergrass with Gustavo Machado in, deten- in attendance, uh, Mr. Jay Ivanovich. Welcome to the studio. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. We've really been wanting to get you into the studio. So my question is, uh, you've just recently received your black belt. Has that sunk in yet for you, that you're a new black belt? Um, I would say yes at this point. It's, um, it's weird someone asked me, you know, afterward who wasn't there did you jump up and down did you get excited and it was sort of just this surreal feeling of gratitude toward my training partners and you know my coaches and instructors and it's not like I like kind of like went crazy it was more like wow it was just a feeling of whoo that's crazy you know and I you know I had the little speech afterward you know they make you do a speech and um I just kept looking down like man this is crazy you know it's like uh so it's a lot of work and um you know it, it it just brought a whole wave of of man thank you to all you guys you know you guys helped me get here you guys are the reason why I got to this um so it was is more of that sort of feeling that it's just overwhelming and so if it's sunk in yet sort of now like that has subsided a little bit and I had my first training session last night you know, as a black belt, and I rolled as a black belt, and I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Do I feel like a black belt? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, yeah, I think at this point, a couple days removed, it, it's, uh, it's, it's sunk in. So you mentioned they make you give a speech. I'm wondering, schools have different traditions when you get any belt, let alone a black belt. And, you know, some do the gauntlet, some do, you know, you throw them, mm-hmm. some do, do a train. Does Pendergrass have a specific test for, or not a test, but a tradition for belts? And is there a special one for black belt? Um, we do the gauntlet um, for every belt pretty much up to black. Um, I don't think black belts, they don't really do a gauntlet. I mean, if they would have said do a gauntlet, I would have, oh, Corey, sure. You know, um, but I don't think we do. I know. I don't think we do the gauntlet for black belts, but there's nothing specific, but the speech is something you do, you know? Um, and then they, they did this prior to the seminar. Usually it's afterward and, you know, so there's more time to do a gauntlet or do a, you know, whatever. They actually did this prior, which was surprising to me. Um, and so you ended so, up like drilling as a black belt. Right, yeah. So I ended up drilling as a black belt, yeah, which is crazy. Um, but the speech is pretty much our big one. When you get a black belt, you give your speech. So, so you know, I'm sure that your speech had elements of this that you referenced to. But, like, I'm wondering, you know, who who did help you get here? Like, who were the people that have contributed the most, you know, outside of, you yeah. know, you, you know who, who, who contributed the most to getting you here? Well, the, f- the first part is my wife for let me train as much as I do. I mean, you know, for someone with kids and a career and to be able to train three to four times a week is crazy to me. It's like, you know, um, so she's been the number one driving force, has, has realized from the beginning how important jujitsu is to me. You know, it's mm-hmm. people that do jujitsu, <clears throat> it's part of you. Mm-hmm. And you have to, you know, you have to feed that. And um, sometimes it just consumes you and you're like, man, I want to train, I want to train. Um, so for one, just having the, the family balance of being able to train was rewarding and amazing. Um, you know, everyone has like the training partners you came up with, 
you know, they started about the same time. You're kind of always getting your belts at the same time. For me, there's a bunch of brown belts at Pendergrass. Uh, Sean Zorio, well, these are black belts now, but Sean Zorio, Boo Holbrook, uh, Jeff Crum, Josh Gogan, um, Ben Carey, these guys, you know, basically grew up, we all grew up together through the ranks, and um, they helped you tremendously, and we kind of had like this thing, you know, we had like sort of the brown belt lab every class, so yeah, you know, we'd drill the technique, and then you're like, well, what if you did this, and you know, Guy or I would come over, and like, yeah, we're in the brown belt lab, we'll get back to it, hold on, and you know, moving on to them and they were always so accepting of whatever, whatever you wanted your jujitsu career to be. Um, if you wanted to move in this sort of arena of, you know, complex open guards, they were all for it. If you wanted to stay a closed guard, um, like, uh, mainly closed guard player, they were all for it. If you wanted to go on a self-defense path, they were all for it. Um, they basically let you sort of dictate where you're, you know, where your jujitsu comes from. And to me, jujitsu is a very personal journey. You have all these people that help you, but it's also a very personal and quite frankly, spiritual journey. And, um, you kind of got to find your way. And that was the cool part about, about Guy and Rob is that they will, they will let you find your way. There's a lot in there I want to follow up on because you're, you're known for your open guard. I want to talk to you about how you balance your career, you're with your family, with your training. We'll get into that later in the interview. But while we're talking about you're coming up, uh, I want to get the basics out of the way of like how long have you been training? Where did you start? And when did you first come to Pendergrass? Sure. Um, so I used to live in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, when I graduated college, I moved there. And uh, my roommate at the time, who I moved in with, uh, did judo. And he and I had no prior martial arts experience, no wrestling experience. Just, um, you know, I played sports growing up, but um, I was a real skinny kid. And, you know, and he dragged me to judo and I'm kind of, quite frankly, hated it at first. <laughs> um, and it took about he just kept dragging me there and I'd say, OK, and I'd go. And it took about, you know, three or four months. And finally, I kind of really, really liked the ground aspect of it. The throws, you know, I, I liked as well. But the, whenever we did any Nawaza, you know, I was all about that. And I was like, this is the cool stuff to me. And that's what kind of kept driving me. Well, eventually, um, I did judo for about two years, two and a half years. And um, we got wind that there was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu place in town. And, of course, we went. And um, that was more primarily, you know, Nawaza at the time. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is where I want to be. And so me and my buddy, we switched right away. And, um, it was Helson Gracie Charleston. I don't know what it was at the time. Now they're known as Helson Gracie Charleston. The uh, main instructor was Jerry Brewer, and um, he's a black belt now. And at the time, I he might I don't even remember. Was he a blue belt? This is a long time ago. I had a gap of training that I missed, so I probably started in I'd say 2000. Wow. Um, at Helson Gracie, and uh, I think maybe he was a purple, possibly just a blue. I don't even really remember. So I trained there for about a year and a half, and then I ended up moving away from Charleston, and I didn't train for um, five years. Wow. So I didn't even get my blue belt there. They didn't give stripes. You know, it was just I was a white belt, but I'd been training for about a year and a half, and I took about five or six years off. And when I moved to Raleigh, um, I was walking around, and I saw a guy that had a jiu-jitsu shirt, I was like, oh, man, you do Brazilian jiu-jitsu? And he's like, he's like, no. Um, his name was Jason Ladd, and he had a um, Tonsido studio, I believe. He goes, we grapple on Wednesday nights. And I was like, oh, I'll come up. 
And so I went there, and I would just go there on Wednesday nights and just grapple. And then one day, uh, Rob Pendergrass came in just to do a seminar there. And so, um, was Rob a purple belt at the time, or he was a brown brown belt belt. at that point? Yeah, this is 2006, I believe. Um, I believe he was a brown belt at that point, and uh, and so I got to roll with him and stuff. And I was like, you know what, I should just do this full time, you know, I should just go back to it. So, um, yeah, that next Saturday, I went up to Pendergrass, and um, they had like an it was a it wasn't an open mat that time, we actually had a, a formal class. And I uh, went in and, uh, you know, trained and rolled with everyone. And then I signed up that day and I was like, you know what? I'll sign up for a year. Just, you know, let's do it. Mm-hmm. So um, that was 2006-ish, maybe like late 2006. So from then on, I've just been at Pendergrass for the last 11 so years. So I've probably trained roughly, I put it at around 12 years, jujitsu. Mm-hmm. So other than Guy and Rob, the twin black belts who own Pendergrass, who was there when you were you like the first guy of the current crop like who was there that we would know who trains at Pendergrass now when you when you arrived in 2006 or 2007 uh my first class was Sean Zorio's last class as a white belt wow so i remember our, he was a white belt from one class probably that saturday and then the next class when i walked in he was awarded his blue belt um Boo Holbrook was there. Uh, Alan Bevier was training us, training with us at the time. He was there. Um, gosh, a couple other guys that train at different places now. Kyle Davenport, a younger younger guy then. Um, Chad Tyler was there, um, and then a lot of guys who have come and gone. Um, a lot of the old school guys just you know they, they either moved out or dropped out of jujitsu or whatnot. Um, but those were kind of the main guys. Um, and then a couple guys came after me, like Jeff Crum and Ben Carey and Josh Gogan. Um, but Sean and Boo definitely were there before I got there. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting to me to see who sticks with it through the years. And that one of, one of the things I said to a white belt at our gym that was frustrated about progress the other day uh, and was like, man, at least I'm sticking with it. I said, if you ever want inspiration, go and look at the stack of waivers that Seth has that shows you how many people come in through these doors and how few of those folks get even their blue belt, let alone like advance to the ranks of purple, brown, and black. And I'm sure that that's similar, a similar experience for oh, y'all. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny when new guys come in, I really try to encourage them because I, you, we have to sort of breed the new students and, you know, we want valuable training partners. And... um you know, when people say, oh, yeah, I don't know your name to your blue belt. I mean, I hate that. Yeah, it's hate like, that that's not, you know, I want these guys to stick around. And whether that's really, really trying to take them under your wing or what, well, sometimes you can't do anything about it. I mean, people, some people are going to come in and try it out and leave. And that's it. But, um, you know, you really want to try to try to help them and try to just let them discover jujitsu. Like for me with judo. Yeah, I hated it the first three months. And if I didn't have someone there pushing me to go, I would never have done this and I would never have a black belt right now. And, you know, my life would be totally different. So now that you have a black belt, I'm wondering what advice you would give either your blue belt self or even that self that walked into Helson Gracie Charleston way back in the day. Do you, do you have anything that you know now that you wish like blue belt J or year and a half white belt J would have known? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, blue belt J was way too cocky about his jujitsu. Um, you know, I thought playing guard was the coolest and all I wanted to do was, um, sort of innovate the newest guard techniques. And, you know, I think that was great in a way, 
but I think it was a detriment more than it was a sort of uh, a help in a way. Um, you know, I didn't really, really like passing guard until I was a brown belt. I mean, that's how much my head was in the sand about, about I thought playing guard was to be good at jujitsu, you had to have an incredible guard. And that's what I focused on. And um, looking back, I should have, I should have sort of balanced that. I mean, I'm always going to be a guard player. I mean, that's not, that's just who I am. Jujitsu is an extension of your personality. That's what I enjoy doing. But um, now I really, really enjoy passing the guard. And I think if I would have done that earlier and discovered that earlier and, and really kind of focused on it, I would be a more complete player than I am today. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because I do think it's important to be balanced. But you are known in the community for your open guard. And so let's talk a little bit about jiu-jitsu technique for a minute. Like what would you say is the key to being a good open guard player? Like for folks that are listening to this that are maybe in the position you were in 10, you know, 8 years ago. I... I can only speak on personal experience. I think you need to be a good half guard player. Um, I think you need to really understand how half guard works. Um, and a lot of half guard means keeping people's weight off you. You know, um, distance control, um, knowing where the balance is on a sweep. Um, Jito helped me a lot with that. Uh, I have a heavy sweep game. Um, judo actually taught me the tipping point in the Kazushi t- to find the balance point of your opponent and to sweep them. Um, half guard spoke to me like judo spoke to me. How do I keep their distance away from me? And when do I push and pull and, and find that balance tipping point when I can, when I can, um, you know, really drop them and, and come up on top. Um, my number one thing I tell people who say, Hey, you want, I want to have a good guard. I said, learn half guard. You know, learn how to play half guard, play the knee shield half guard, play, go underneath on half guard, understand, you know, your hips on half guard, that will get you there. Um, again, we, our lineage is, you know, through Gustavo and Gordo, both incredible half guard players. So that has something to do with it as well. Um, we train a ton of half guard at Pendergrass. Um, you know, the, the story about Gordo is he injured his knee and he couldn't play guard anymore and he had to figure out how he could survive in competition and really just training and became this incredible half guard player. Um, so I would start at half guard. For me, it went from half guard to De La Hiva because half guard, you're on your hip. And if they come up in combat base, stick in the hook and start playing De La Hiva. That was my path. And from there, I went to more reverse De La Hiva and more of a spider. Um, everyone's path is going to be different, obviously, but uh, I would recommend half guard to start. Yeah, a lot of that resonates with me, particularly like the individual path. You know, I think there's something that everybody hits on early in their career that makes sense to them. And for some of us, it's half guard. For some of us, it's De La Hiva. Like you said, we have a different path. And as a smaller guy, what you say about learning how to keep their weight off you is huge, right? Yeah. You know, because you can't get squished. And a huge part of jiu-jitsu is learning to negate those sort of physical attributes. And, uh, you know, early on, when I started playing guard, I started playing spider guard. Not even because I knew how to sweep anyone from there, but it's like it's the best way that I had found personally. Like they can't put their weight down on you right. if your legs are between them and you. Mm-hmm. So, so that's fascinating. And I hadn't even thought about the lineage with Gustavo and Gordo, but that makes sense about, about half guard and connecting that to other positions as well. And we've always, um, I think our open guard development at Pendergrass has always kind of started with half guard. And uh, we've always started there. And uh, we kind of even... To this day, we'll set up positions. All right, we're starting half guard, and then and then this is how we get to De La Hiva from there. And uh, it's just a, a good base point, I think, and it's one thing that's really sort of um, 
sort of developed my game is, is just starting from half guard. Mm-hmm. To extend on that a little bit, you know, I want to talk a little bit about Pendergrass's curriculum and how you and how Guy and Rob think about that. Because I know you teach the, a lot of classes there. You teach the teens. We want to talk about that. But you mentioned that Guy and Rob are very good about personal development. Like, hey, if you want to have self-defense focus, if you want to have a guard focus, you want, then we'll help you walk that path. So I'm wondering, like, how does a curriculum work there? Is there, like, a standard fundamentals curriculum, and then we tailor it to the individual? Or how, how is that approached at Pentagrass? Sure, yeah. We have a fundamentals and advanced. And fundamentals um, is uh, essentially a little mix of self-defense, um, wrestling and judo, takedown, and then, um, of course, um, your standard sort of jiu-jitsu curriculum. Um, we do follow sort of core uh, positions in both fundamentals and advanced. So, you know, this month has actually been in advance, I can only speak of, has been X-Guard. So we've been going single leg X to X, and that's been the, the core focus of the entire month. And we usually do it by months. So every month we'll, we'll really explore position, and we'll start with how do you get into the position. Then we'll start with, well, what do you do once you're in a position? Then it will, well, what submission chains can you do from that position so it's really position based on a monthly basis and then we'll sort of so it's single leg x to x this month and next month may be a de la hiva position um so uh, the fundamentals i'm not quite as sure about um but i know it's pretty much in the same vein as that is that you stay in a certain position for entire month and uh i like that that you just get more sort of recollection of how the technique works and um, sometimes, you know, it can get a little bit monotonous, like, oh, we're doing X card again. But that's really helpful. I mean, you know, repetition of movement is what it's all about and what you're going to sort of remember. So um, I really like how it's structured. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a question about specific, like about tailoring instruction to specific students. And I, you could either answer for yourself and your philosophy or what you've observed Guy and Rob do. Let's say you have two different students and one is like, I really love competing in sport jiu-jitsu this is what i really enjoy and i'm passionate about and another student about the same rank about the same level of ability who's like i really want to focus on self-defense like how does that how does tailoring instruction to particular students work in that case or what advice do you see folks giving how, how do you help those students walk their respective paths yeah i mean obviously you can't split up the class and i mean i guess you could but you know you have a class and you're going to teach that class so um I think one of the ways that we do it at Pendergrass is we really, really try to work with students after class and, um, you know, during open mat and, and just, you know, especially open mats that we do, it's like one big sort of collaborate, you know, session. And um, if someone wants to learn something about self-defense, you know, we have three or four guys who are over in a corner working that. Um, you know, if someone wants to, uh, I think the main thing, it's not so much what are we doing, it's what are we letting people explore. Mm-hmm. Um, the main thing is just having an open mind and saying, you know what, you're really into this De La Hiva right now, and um, you know, guy may come over to me and said, hey, I saw you doing this, but you should really, really think about just turning your foot slightly here and moving it down a little bit, and, and you'll get more torque that way. And it's just those little things that, of observation and going up to people and just you know sharing knowledge. I wouldn't say there's... It's not about sort of, well, we're going to, you know, these guys are going to do this over here and these guys are going to do this. That's not really. It's we learn everything and then we really have some personal sort of um, like observation and, and just personal touches that we that we give each other just to help them on their way. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. 
Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no time limit submission only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. The collaboration thing makes a ton of sense to me, and that dovetails with a question I wanted to ask anyway, and that, you know, as someone that teaches a fair bit, I'm wondering how you balance um, your teaching and imparting knowledge to students while continuing to maintain progress and your, your own improvement. And do you have, like, goals that you set for yourself, or do you, you know, how, how do you, or do you use that teaching time to, to yourself learn? Like, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you approach that? Well, teaching for me is, um, I teach the teens class, so I don't teach adults, um, the teens class to me is very, very fun because um, you can teach them some more advanced techniques and, you know, it's not going to totally go over their head or, you know, it's not like little kids running around who just want a somersault. And, you know, it's um, so for me, teaching has been extremely helpful to my jujitsu game because it's forced me to go back to the basics. Um, you know, it's forced me to really think about, oh, yeah, armbar from guard oh, man, I really need to chop that leg down, you know? It's like I really need to show these guys um, exactly where, you know, where the pressure and where the balance of, of this technique is and what the angle is. And, you know, um, I think since I've started teaching for the past two or three years, it's helped my, my game tremendously in ways that I would not have even thought of just because it's forced me to slow down and go back. Um there are techniques I've taught in the teens class, like the old school sweep. I taught that, you know, like a year ago, and then I started hitting it in tournaments. Mm. And I never really went for it much before, but I started teaching it, and then I just started hitting it. And I'm like, wow, where'd that come from? You know, um, it's just one of those jujitsu techniques that you learn, and then you file in, in the back of your mind, and you don't think about that. It's not part of you. You don't really go for it, and all of a sudden, it just, you discover it, and it's working, and you understand it fully. Um, just being able to go back and almost review all these things with the teens has helped me so much in, in my own personal game. So um, it's not really a balance. It's actually all working together for me. That makes sense. And I'm glad you brought up competition because you've competed fairly regularly at Brown Belt. And I know a lot of your teens compete as well. And one of the listener questions we got from Dave Porter was, how much motivation do you draw from your teens class competitions and, how mu- and vice versa? How much do you think they draw from you or if it, is it important to you to set that example and be out competing yeah and we don't um we're not a huge we all got to compete it's a personal decision just like all of our jujitsu we have a very sort of you want to compete let's do it these are the guys that are going um and we have some students who are very driven to compete like some some kids uh, like enoch and lucas and um you know these guys are at every u.s grappling and it's cool to see them go out there and um, sort of find their way. You know, some guys are really nervous and others are so experienced now. It's like, ho-hum, and I'm going to go out there. And, and they they try stuff in competition, too. It's like they're not afraid to go out there and, you know, not and just kind of like lock up and just do the one thing they know. They're out there like experimenting. And to me, that's the coolest. That makes me feel great. It's like... You know, it is a competition, and we want to win. But in the end, we want our jiu-jitsu to be better. And if you can try to try this new move in competition, that's great. I mean, 
you want to try it out against a resisting opponent that you don't know that wants to rip your head off, man, that takes guts, right? Um, so that just makes me extremely proud more than anything to see these kids go out there and um, A, sort of do it, and B, try stuff and, you know, not be afraid to fail, really. Yeah, I think that's really important. And and so I'm glad that, you know, that you don't necessarily push people in a competition, but also are fairly honest about the benefits of it. I'm wondering, you know, Hoyler Gracie has said everybody should compete once. Do you agree with that? Or do you think it's a more personal journey? And like, if you don't want to compete at all, you know, I'm, I'm just curious about how you answer that question as someone that clearly believes in the benefits of competition, but also wants people to walk their own path. I think people should compete once. I really do. And um, while I am a big sort of proponent of you got to find your own way, you should go out there once. I mean, it's just there's no other way to replicate that in a gym. Just the amount of either nerves or adrenaline or adrenaline dump or excitement or whatever you're feeling, I guess the only other way to replicate that would be if you were in an actual fight in the street, which is probably even worse than that. But um, you can't replicate, I don't care what you do in a gym, these are still people you know. Um, Competition, these are people you don't know, and you're in front of people. And um, I think you need to go experience it once. And if you hate it, cool. You know, if you love it, keep doing it. Makes sense. So you started the competitive martial arts around 2000. You've been training jiu-jitsu solid for 12 years. Do you still get nervous before you compete? Yeah, I think, you know, everyone, I don't know if it's nervous anymore or just anticipation or just, you know. I used to think the nervous energy was a bad thing, but the nervous energy is a great thing. And um, if you're not getting that nervous energy, I don't think you're going to do well. I mean, the nervous energy is what really, really kind of gets you ready. And nowadays, I think I just, when I get that feeling, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm ready to compete. You know, I feel it now. Um, so I'd say that's nervousness, but it's a good it's a good feeling now for me. It's not something to be apprehensive about. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about how jujitsu interweaves itself with your life. We talked you, you mentioned earlier you have a family life. We see you taking your daughters to swim meets, you have a demanding career. Um, and you mentioned that your wife is very supportive and understands how important jiu-jitsu is to you, which is amazing. How, how do you balance these various aspects of your life and make sure that you're not neglecting anything? Well, first off, um, my daughter's swim competitions come first over any jiu-jitsu competition or seminar or whatever have you, you know. So, you know, I'm 42 years old. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go win the worlds, the real worlds. You know, maybe one day I can compete in the master's worlds at Black Belt. Um, so there, what they do comes first. And that, you know, family is always first and, and you know, we'll fit jujitsu in. Um, so with that being said, we have a calendar and we, you know, it's like the calendar is chock full of stuff, but we actually physically write down, well, I'm going to train from this time to this time. And, um, I think you have to do it with a lot with, you know, when, when, you know, my wife is also a CPA, so she has a career and, um, and the kids have a million things going on beyond school and, uh, they're on various swim teams and stuff. So we we're just very organized in that way. And, um, you know, it's not your typical jujitsu. Oh man, I'm going to wake up. I'll go do jujitsu. It's like, okay, I know at like five 30, I need to, you know, go to jujitsu from six to, you know, seven fifteen, And then I got to, you know, pick up so-and-so from it's a very organized chaos sort of, but I like that. So 
They, or, organized chaos is how I think about rolling too. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I imagine it must take a lot of forethought and organization and planning. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's cool. Like, I like life like that. Like, I work in television, which is also a very time-based thing. You know, even down to, you know, you have to have this done at, you know, 552 is when this hits and you better make sure you make slot. And um, that just works with me. It's like I've always, you know, it's TV is a very pressure environment. Make sure you get on time and whatnot. And um, I just like that. That just works with my personality. And so having like a chock full schedule of you got to be certain place at a certain time, like, yeah, I do that in TV every day. And so that just makes sense for me. So I do not mind that at all. Um, I think it's fun. So, You mentioned earlier that jiu-jitsu is frankly spiritual to you, and I'm wondering if you could say more about that and what you mean by it. Yeah, so jiu-jitsu to me is, well, it's obviously a martial art, but it's an art form to me. And that's where I think I'm talking about spirit, spirituality is it's an extension of your personality. So the way that you roll, the, the things that you do, the movements that you make are very artistic at least in, in my um, sort of thinking. And I think it's it's just a form of expression in a way. And, you know, every single person has a different game. I mean, Hoffa Mendes has a different game than Guy Mendes, which is crazy, right? Um, but their games are vastly different if you really, really study them. And um, it's just an extension of your personality. And so just the way that people like to take photographs or they like to paint or they like to draw or any other artistic thing, Presented jiu-jitsu is an art, and people express themselves in that way. And, um, you know, I've never had another sport where I thought that was the way. I mean, obviously, like, you know, tremendous hockey players, you know, like Sidney Crosby is very creative, and I'm sure that, in a way, that that kind of comes into play. But jiu-jitsu is so sort of vast, and you can do so many different things and manipulations. It just becomes a very creative thing for me personally. And so um, it's a creative outlet for me, and... You know, just just the what I've sort of tailored my game to speaks to me, and um, that's just a way that I, I sort of let loose, I guess. Mm-hmm. Speaking of art and creativity, I know you're a big music guy, and I'm curious. We got some questions from listeners about that, and I'm wondering, how do you make a truly great rolling playlist? <laughs> well, um, I should say that for I don't know how many years I've been at Pendergrass, at some point I became the official resident DJ, whether they liked it or not. I was the first one to run over with my phone and plug it in. And then, you know, at a certain point when you become a higher belt, no one's going to take the phone off the, the jack for you. So we've been listening, or other people say they've been subjected to my music for probably the last decade. With <laughs> So basically, I just like to, you know, feed off the creativity. I just like to come up with music that I think is neat to listen to while you're rolling. It could be faster, like, you know, really punk music to, if you want to have an aggressive. It could be very sort of, if you want to have a flowy type, you know, thing. It could be some sort of, you know, house music or whatnot. Um, so, you know, musical tastes change and everyone has musical tastes and, you know, basically whatever they're into at the moment. For the most part, I think everyone puts up with it okay. Um, you know, they, they've maybe just accepted it now. But uh, I usually come with some real crazy stuff and just say, hey, this is what we're listening to tonight. And a lot of people be like, man, that was great. And some people are like, what in the world is this? I'm like, dude, just go with it. So <laughs> when you make it like so when you've made these rolling playlists over the years, what are the th- what are three artists that you feel like are the most common like 
you know, a tribe called Quest always comes up or whoever it is. What, what are three artists that you think are common themes in your, in your mixes while rolling? Well, it's interesting because we have a lot of, we have a huge kids program. So I got to keep it pretty, you know, you know, uh, so clean. Way. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we listen to a couple artists, like we listen to a lot of Ninth Wonder inst- like uh, instrumentals. So he has so many sort of instrumentals, like in all sorts of samples. And we listen to it, especially like Saturday mornings. I know there's a lot of kids in. I'll put that on. Um, we listen to a lot of electronic music. Um, you know, like Rusty is a good one, Flying Lotus. Like um, just basically anything you'd, you'd find at Moogfest is um, we we roll to that probably more. And I'm really into that right now. And so we roll to that more than anything. At night, when I know there's not going to be kids around, we will we listen to a lot of Wu-Tang and, you know, Tribe and um, Roots and a lot of hip-hop at night. And I think more of the guys that train at night like hip-hop. Um, you know, if Rob and Guy, they would probably... They just shake their head every time, you know, they, they like country music. So, you know, they would all, and we're not rolling to that. Sorry. <laughs> Any country fans out there. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, those are just anything in the electronic genre, um, hip hop, indie rock is what we're listening to. A lot of Ninth Wonder, um, that kind of stuff. Ninth Wonder, keeping it local. I love that. I always, I always wanted to take one of the Ninth Wonder classes at Central or Duke yes. when he was teaching that. That's, right. that's, that's like a goal for me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, hashtag life goals. <laughs> So another passion of yours, I know, is craft beer, like really high quality beer. I want to shout out to the Good Vibes crew. Um, yeah. And I know that, so I have a couple of beer related questions for you, which is, I know you do some beer shares with some other jujitsu practitioners. And I'm wondering, what do you think is the best beer you've received in one of these trades versus one of the, uh, the best beer you've given out to somebody? Gosh. So, yeah. So, you know, it's weird. Jiu-jitsu and craft beer have this sort of alignment in both sort of scenes and um and you're part of sort of the facebook group that kind of gets to the core of that so yeah i've traded with some a lot of people um i guess the best one i mean back in the day when i never had Pliny the elder and then i was able to get it and this is you know five years ago when it, things now you can get things easier but back then i was like man that's so cool that i was able to get this and you know um you know, and I don't know, I I feel like I get better beers than I send out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, um, I know a lot of people liked, um, I was able to get like some Westbrook Mexican cake and a lot of people out West couldn't get that. And I don't, I don't believe they can still. No, um, I don't think they can either. It was a big deal when Westbrook came to North Carolina. Exactly. <laughs> so just, and I, I'm from, you know, I used to live in Charleston, so we'd go down there and I could stop by and grab some. And, um, so th- I feel like that was probably the best thing I've been able to offer. Obviously it's, probably a pittance to whatever they've sent me um but uh you know just the fact that i was able to try to get stuff that people liked it, that's cool i mean north carolina has a great scene here um so um and it's only grown do you have a favorite style of beer or any particular like uh, you know you don't have to have a favorite but like what type of beers do you really enjoy just to sip after training probably either sours or ipas i i, I really enjoy sort of the sour beers um and uh, IPAs are more prevalent, especially around here. So probably IPAs would be the most thing. And I really only have like one or two and then I'm done. I'm not a big like, I can't drink a lot of liquid just at, in a sitting. So I'm like two and I'm done. So if they're going to be two, I want them to be really good, you know? So then that's the concept of craft beer, right? Like right. it's like quality <laughs> over quantity. Yes. So give me your top three sours and your top three IPAs. 
Oh, gosh. I'll start with IPAs. And I don't know if they're actual um, beers, but I'll just go brewery. I think Vale Brewery in Richmond does a tremendous job with all their IPAs. So um, I have a little sort of training ritual where I'll I'll go up on a Tuesday, train at Seth's, uh, quick lunch, train at Revolution, and then go stand in line at Vale and get their can release on Tuesdays and then drive back. Um, you should come with me one day. I, I would love to. Yes. That sounds like a great Tuesday. Oh, my gosh. It's a great Tuesday. You get off work and you do that. Um, so I think Vale does a really great job with their IPAs. Um, you know, um, Hetty's a great um, IPA. You know, Pliny's a great IPA. Um, those are some of the classics. Um, sours, again, I'll go sort of um, more brewery than actual beers. Uh, Rare Barrel out of uh, Berkeley. Um, people have sent me stuff. Shout out to Michael Anderson. He sent me some of their stuff. Um, yeah, they're legit. Uh, Jester King, um, they've done some great things. Um, I'm not going to talk about Wicked Weed. Yeah, we'll save say, that for another day. That never happened. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, who else? I'm not quite sure. I'm sure there's there's a lot of a lot of them out there. So I, I love the Westbrook Gozas, and like, have you have you had the Key Lime Pie Goza? It's great, it's spectacular, Wonderful. Yeah. just spectacular yeah. beer. And se- somewhere Seth Champ is fist pumping because you mentioned Hetty Topper yes. out of Vermont. Well, Vermont does a great job in like sort of. Uh, there, oh gosh, there's so much in Vermont, like the Hill Farmstead stuff. Like I've had that once in a while, and uh, good lord, Alchemist. Yeah, you know, for a yep. small state, they really yeah. do it upright. Yeah, and you mentioned we're really lucky here in North Carolina. Like we p- really punch above our weight. I feel like yes. craft beer wise. Yeah, you know, we have so many sort of um, Asheville's amazing. If I just to go there and um, just do sort of like a little tour and go to Burial and and some of the smaller ones, um, even the Sierra Nevada complex, and I believe it's Mills River, which is near Asheville, tremendous complex. I mean, um, you should go there just, you know, to get the whole Disneyland sort of beer thing going on. It, it's amazing. Um, yeah, North Carolina is a great, a great place for, for craft beer, I think. I just, um, I think actually Richmond, as far as cities go, is tremendous. So Richmond has some incredible breweries there. I kind of wish that Raleigh was more like Richmond in that way. So, what is the best beer, North Carolina or South Carolina, that people don't know about but should know about? Hmm, that don't know about. Yeah, an underrated beer. Yeah, an underrated beer in North Carolina. Gosh, um, let me think about that. So. If people don't know, since we live in North Carolina, if people don't know about Westbrook, which is based out of South Carolina, and and all the Mexican cake things that they do, I would say that's crazy good. Um, but people who know about Westbrook, um, gosh, I don't know that that that's a hard one. I'm trying to think right now about North Carolina beers that I really really like that people really know about them. Um, like, I would say what's the new uh there's a new brewery in charlotte and i had a couple of their ipas and are amazing and trophy right now if you haven't been to trophy um they've put out some great things um burial uh all the new ipas that they've put out which is more of a new england style those are probably the undiscovered secrets right now so um when you're in your in your craft beer store or whatnot look for burial and their ipas that they sort of drop every now and then those would be the ones i would i would search out 
We'll return to jujitsu for the last few minutes, but like I do want to put a capstone on the craft beer discussion by saying to you, Jay, and to any good vibes crew person who might be near North Carolina next spring, is the Sour Barn Bash, which gets put on out here, mm-hmm. was amazing this year. They had twenty different breweries, and it was you know this beautiful farmstead. And and what's what's great about a good sour is like you know most of them are between like four and a half five percent, right? Right. So you can sip and taste a bunch of stuff without getting too too silly and schnockered. And I haven't been there yet, so I'm definitely going to go this next time around for sure yeah it was great so we'll definitely let's let's make the tuesday trip up to richmond and then do sour barn bash sure so a couple of jujitsu questions in the in the few minutes we have left to close us out so do i know that you're a competitor you enjoy sport jujitsu do you have favorite sport jujitsu competitors that you watch either to learn from or just for like pure enjoyment of like that dude or that lady oh incredible gosh yeah so you know i'm a big i don't it's weird i cannot watch instructionals I just, I know you've even given me some and I, you know, watch it for like two minutes. I'm like, this is boring. I can't do it, but I will watch competition matches all day. So Homoloba Hall is, is probably, he's my favorite to watch in competition. I just love to see what he, the way that he sort of just, you know, plays guard and the way that he passes guard and the way that he goes for the submission. I just feel like he has a complete competition game. There's nothing he can't do. He has the right amount of aggressiveness, the right, the tremendous guard work, the, you know, the pressure passing. He would probably be my favorite to watch. Um, and, you know, all the guys that he has um, coming out of that, uh, Gracie Bahi Northridge, I, I believe they're from, like uh, Argus and uh, uh, how do you pronounce it? Jimmy or Edwin? Um, you know, the fly, yeah, Najimi and, uh, you know, the flying triangles that he does. And it's just like, so sick. Those dudes are crazy. I love watching them. Um, there's actually like some really lesser known guys. I love watching. There's a purple belt at, uh, I believe it's Finland or Norway, uh, Halicane or something like that, who won Europeans. He's a, I'm sorry, he's a brown belt who won Europeans. His game is tremendous. Like it's like a Barambolo-y, but I feel like the new style of Barambolo is like Barambolo and then smash you. <laughs> you know, it's not like the Barambolo and then re-Barambolo and, you know, just keep leg scissoring. Now it's like, we're going to Barambolo and we're going to smash you and get on top of you and choke you. Um, he's got a tremendous game. He's a he's a guy that I just enjoy watching. There are so many. Um, just uh, Shaolin, like he's competing a lot now. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the most underrated guys. It stuns me that people don't speak of Shaolin in yeah. the legendary status that he deserves. And when I was at Masters Worlds, I watched his matches. And he just went out there and crushed people. And to date, he is still the best guy I've ever rolled with in my just tremendous person, um, incredible game. And I love watching him because he's got an old school, school, new school game. You know, basically, you know, he he does a lot of old school stuff, but he's got some tricks too. And uh, it's just cool to see him just put it on people. Mm -hmm. So last question, and it's sort of a two-part question, which is, um, so the black belt. Is the black belt different than any other belt, promotion-wise, in your experience? And does your answer differ for you versus other black belts? Like, as in, you know, is it different for you? And do you, and would would the answer be the same if I asked you, is a belt promotion different at somebody else's school? Yeah, I think it means it's different for everybody. Um, for some people, it's probably the goal, and then they build from there. For me, it's never been... It's I feel weird saying this. It's never been the goal. The goal for me has always been just to train, to be on the mat. And I knew at a certain point one day I would get my black belt because I loved it so much that I was going to get it. And, you know, and 
at that, you know, you just don't, it's not anything for me that I've ever worried about. It doesn't mean I, I don't totally respect what happened because I understand what, what went into it. But uh, I do think it's different for everybody. And some people will find sort of that, gosh, I've, I've done it and I've, I've worked all this and, and I finally done it. And to me, I didn't feel that. I just felt like, okay, wow, that's crazy. I'm happy this happened, but I'm happier that I can just keep training. And, um, and that's just what I'm always, I just want to, you know, I just want to train until I can't train, but if I just take care of my body and then, you know, and I, uh, you know, roll certain ways. And I know Andrew Smith is all, all about, man, I want to do this when, you know, when I'm 70 or 80. Yeah. And you can, I think you can, you just got to, uh, just keep coming and, and train smart. And, um, so the black belt to me, it, it's just, uh, it's a stepping stone in a way in a larger journey. It's not the end of the journey by any stretch. And it's, you know, it, it it's just, it's a, it's a great, thing to have it finally come to this but um you know there's a lot more to accomplish in jiu-jitsu is there anything i haven't asked about that you really wish i would have asked about or just any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with yeah the only thing is i know you ask in these questions like who are some of the underrated guys in the community and um you know i was thinking about that because a lot of the guys i was going to say like when you start this podcast like a year and a half ago like they're not underrated anymore like I just want some of the, some names is like Andrew Bittner, incredible. I mean, good lord, what he's accomplished lately. Um, and when I roll with him, it's just like holy cow. You know, it's like this dude just loves jujitsu. So he's done a lot of stuff competition lately. Um, you know, we have some old school guys at Pendergrass that you know that don't really compete. That you know, you know, we have a guy who's like trained. His name's John D. He's trained for like twenty years. Only comes in once a night, but you know, it's like, dude, he's crazy good and you can't do anything with them and it's just like good lord you know um gosh there are so many people that are coming onto the scene now of course like you know deandre is killing it and his brother's killing it and um i just can't wait to see these guys at world it's gonna be great jay thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today i really had a good time oh thank you so much I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff. They do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for Thai gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian jiu-jitsu geese or Valetudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t-shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one two four Lotter Road right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cage Side is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors than just about anybody else. And so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cage Side Fight Company, 124 Lotter Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at cageside.com. So that's the show for the week. The Black Belt is such a significant thing, and I hope that you enjoyed hearing Jay talk about it as much as I did, because everyone's Black Belt is a significant achievement, but no one regards it in exactly the same way. And I thought Jay's perspective about this being a waypoint on the journey that has a good deal of significance, but is really just the start of something or the continuation of a lifelong pursuit is something that I found pretty inspiring. 
So hopefully you enjoyed that as well. My thanks to Jay Ivanovich for coming in and making the time to do the interview. Next week, I'm excited to bring you an interview with another old school guy who is also a fellow jujitsu podcaster. Rob the Lord Humongous, aka Rob Austin from the Big Jiu-Jitsu Podcast is going to come in and talk to us before he flies back to Germany. This is a rare opportunity for us to do some cross-continental podcast collaboration, and I couldn't be more pumped for it. If you listened to if you've ever listened to the Big Jiu-Jitsu Podcast, you know Rob has some tremendous interviews over there. A lot of people with North Carolina connections. I've been on the show, Mary Holmes, Brad Acosta, a bunch of other interviews. So check out the Big Jiu-Jitsu Podcast if you're looking for something else cool to listen to. That's our show for the week. Uh, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Please go to dirtywhitebelt.com for any other information about the show. Uh, my name is Jeff Shaw, and thank you once again for listening. Thank you.